the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north. This is Jim Polzo with Safety Works. How's everybody doing out there? Okay, looks like we're not all the streams up and running here. I'm just going to go with it. I don't have any of my uh, supplemental stuff. So I'm going to trust the computer version. How's everybody doing it, like I said? Had a very interesting vacation as we head on into this Memorial Day weekend. Let's see, it's the last baseball tournament of the spring slash summer season. After this week, it's fall ball. And let's see where that goes. One of the parents came up to me at baseball practice today and said, oh, are you going to be the uh, coach? I said, well, I'll help out. I'm not going to be the coach. Little league and softball. Not with all of this stuff going on. We have some big things going on here with the program we've been working on for the last uh, few weeks. Well, uh, we're looking to go live with them probably tomorrow or, or sometime over the weekend. So let me point out to you, this is not all that we do is behind the microphone. We actually do field work. So two weeks ago, I was looking forward to starting my vacation. You know, we were doing one last set of field audits on Friday. Right, and okay, we're going in. Okay, we're going in. We're going to have fun. I get a phone call. Jim, we need emergency lift training. Well, what kind of lift? Forklift and mobile elevated work platform, a.k.a. scissor lift. We need it tomorrow. So, uh, and... That customer came from this program. So if you need training, we do site work. We do audits. We man jobs. We do everything else here. Give us a call at 845-269-5772 or email me at jim at safetywords.com. We're also going to be, uh, so then we go, we do that job. They enjoyed it so much that the following week, I got to go all the way down to Atlanta and we did first aid CPR training and we did lift training. And plus we did all different types of paperwork. So if you're on one of those third party web uh, assessment platforms, IS that world of VETA, we also get you on that program. We've done it for many clients. So uh, last week when I was supposed to be enjoying vacation in Atlantic City, or this week, I should say, well, I was on that system getting people up and running. And uh, with that, turns out that one of my, uh, one of the big things is it's very intimidating. So what companies will often do is they'll sign up for the program. The primary client, depending on who it is, We'll let them slide a little bit. Oh, okay. They're getting into a, oh yeah, we're getting into a VETA. We're getting into a VETA. We're getting into IS Network. Now they'll let them slide. And then all of a sudden they don't like, let you slide. And that's what happened. So we ended up, uh, uh, you know, that's often the case. And that's, you no. Know, so we ended up having to go or 
what happens is people go and they abandon their employer and they don't leave them any of the passwords. And now it's a nightmare getting everything back. But we got them back. We got them on them. Right. Just need a little bit of leadership. So what's that's what we ended up doing. Uh, and then, you know, that's what we do. So if you're shut down, we will help you get back in. If one of these construction management firms shuts you down, unless you're the situation is so far gone, then we can't get you back in. And that's the way, that's the way it is. Can't get you back up and working. But anyway, give us a call. Try us out. We tend to be very convincing, at least in that area. So what what's going on here? Right? Let's uh again, let's So tomorrow is September 1st, and that is the beginning in the United States of National Preparedness Month. What is National Preparedness Month? That is been set up and I don't even know how far back this is going because this is uh the uh National preparedness really became a thing after 9/11, at least in the modern scheme. 20 and that now it's going on 22 years ago now, and it's about getting together and preparing your family, starting with the family unit, with your household, with everything else, uh, going in and um, becoming uh, prepared for whatever your emergency is. So typically we have the three A's, assess what your needs are, right? Analyze, right? After you do the assessment, you want to analyze that. You want to think about, hey, is this really in there? Is this a reality? Is that, no, what can I do? And then act, do something, triple A's. And that's where our, originally that's where our focus was. When I left corporate America was, everyone was talking about domestic preparedness, uh, my employer that was out of their scope of work. And what we ended up doing was uh, with some uh, success, we were pressing this. And what happened is this. Nobody was prepared. Oh, the government. Well, we just had uh, 9-11. Well, we just had the anthrax. Well, you know, they're not uh, prepared. They're not, uh, oh, well, they're prepared. They're prepared. And then what happens? 2010, change of administrations, first new budget. All this stuff gets uh, abandoned because we, we can't alarm the public. Again, mass media, mass consciousness, mass whatever, controlling people. Well, we're not going to worry about domestic preparedness. No, we, and again, they had Katrina. Well, hey, Government's all prepared. They will, and it was trust, trust, trust. And what happened? 2012? What happened in 2012? Right up the eastern seabird, seaboard? Superstorm Sandy, which two weeks ago when I was in Seaside Park, uh, we got a little Airbnb there with a pig, of all things. And I got attacked by a pig. How many people could say they got attacked by a pig on the Jersey Shore on their uh, vacation? Well, it happened to me little boo-boo but anyway and i now know what those tusks are for i did not know what those tusks were for and he just a little thing you know you gotta no i hey i try to be friendly with everybody including animals and uh, he wasn't having it so much so 
And then at the end of it, he was rubbing his belly and everyone's friends. But we realized that we're not prepared for anything. And if that wasn't a kick in the rear end enough, Superstorm Sandy and the way uh, the land use patterns were ridiculous and everything else, how all these Jersey Shore towns were built up. We were even impacted all the way inland. We're about 40 miles away, 50 miles away from the Jersey Shore. We were impacted up here. We didn't have uh, uh, up in uh, Rockland County. We didn't have power for like two weeks, but we were prepared. And you want to, and everybody was, and we made it through. So I'm going through Seaside uh, the Park and the Jersey, Seaside Heights and the Jersey Shore and everything else. We're going through that, and they're still rebuilding. And this is 11 years later. They're rebuilding from all this stuff. So what are we talking? We're going to talk about every day there's going to be a theme we're going to talk about. Some of them may take five minutes, and then some of them may take the whole hour of the program on domestic preparedness on what you can do. Now, what I want you to realize with all of this stuff that going on is that what the government does, what the international government does, what the globalists do, we can't control as individuals. We can do it collectively through the ballot box, maybe lawsuits, maybe this, that. And of course, I only advocate things that are legal here. However, what we can do in our own capacity in our own uh, whatever, resources, capacity, the whole thing, developing our own re resiliency is what we can control. Maybe we can't control all this other stuff, but we can control ourselves. We may be able to prepare our families. And that is where disaster preparedness starts. Preparing families and everything else. So we're going to be talking about that over the next uh, uh, month. Now, going back to our regular stuff that we talk about on here. And what do we talk? We talk about safety in the news, news and views, and everything else. Uh, we're going to try to close out some of the stories that we did not cover because they're gone for two weeks. Uh Believe it or not, OSHA only uh, issued a couple of uh, press releases over the last two weeks because I guess they're on vacation also. And we'll make some commentary. I know I'm on late. Uh, not, I'm, I'm, we're going to get back to that 8 to 9 o'clock thing as soon as summer is over. And uh, with this, it's, uh, you know, just the way it is, the way things work out. This here is from, uh, let me take a break here, a small, short commercial break, and then we'll uh, go from there. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars. 
Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the occupied territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. Context drives behavior. Context drives behavior. Okay, that's context drives behavior from my wife. Now, that, now we poke a little bit of fun, and apparently we got some people really pissed off out there i think it's pretty funny uh, uh no jay allen had mentioned there was a microblog website out there uh no they advert or advertise on linkedin they have some pretty good interviews and the people are mentioning my mentioning this program without mentioning this program if you know what i mean so i'm reciprocating by mentioning their program without mentioning their program and essentially uh, yeah, it might be safety radio shock shock. Jim pulls. I yes, I claim that title, and that's what they called me. Or I it was either me, Jay Allen, or Sam Goodman. I don't know. I don't know. It was one of them because you have a tendency of shocking people. Uh, but what's my point here? Behavior based safety. And they talk about Heinrich and what he said and what he didn't say. And uh, okay, great. That's all well and good. I'm I'm not an academic here. So per se, I'm not an academic. But Heinrich, as I see it, is like energy. It's like a new tool. You could go and you could use the tool for good. You could use the tool for evil. And it's like that with everything out there, including Heinrich with the behavior-based safety and the safety pyramid. And uh, there are others like Scott Geller and everything. It's not personal, but this is what, what happens. And this is what I had to deal with the, uh, this week. Human resources, what's their job? What's one of them? They do a lot of things. What's one of their jobs? The comp to come protect the company liability. Systems are set up, and incentives are set up for managers not to have accidents. Because if there's an accident, all of a sudden everybody goes freaking nuts. We all know that, and everything no, everyone goes nuts. Oh, there's an accident. There's an accident. We did this. Oh, no. Blah, blah, blah. You're a bad person because there's an accident, right? And you're, you're, no, shame on you. And you get shamed and you get blamed and then you get retrained, among other things, and yelled at and everything. Well, guess what? That's what has happened with behavior-based safety. We're not responsible for anything. The worker's responsible. Your honor. Our company isn't liable for that, Your Honor. 
Oh, yeah. Well, uh, you know, human resources. Well, we fired the guy because it's not our fault that we uh, set up the work area wrong and our incentives were and this and that and the person got it. And this is what happens with behavior-based safety. If you're going to go out there in its purest form, like a lot of people do, and they have well-intentioned, good people, salt of the earth, you go out there and you, you know, you go and you, well, guess what? The company doesn't want to hear it. A lot of companies, a lot of employers. So when I go out there and I was giving uh, safety training over in Georgia, and then it was a location in Southern South Jersey, right? A little bit of adult swim humor there. What did we talk about? We talked about this is what your client is thinking with behavior-based safety. And then, oh, a light goes off. We start going through this. And what we then talk about is human and organizational performance, where we need to get to. And believe me, there is some danger in human or organizational performance. One of them is, is that the people interpret this, just like with behavior-based safety. Heinrich gets taken to this, oh, well, we're going to do a that with behavior-based safety, uh, what they do. Human organizational performance is a similar thing. They think it's kumbaya. Everybody get their little stuffed animal, and we're all going to be nice, right? That's not what we do, all right? That's, uh, you know, that's how, no, human resources doesn't go away. People are, are no, people are going to do what they're going to do. But it's to try to put things into context. What were they thinking? How did this happen? How do we set this up? How do we... And it's less antagonistic. It's not kumbaya. It's just less antagonistic. How are you going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. And as we know, in, uh, from the principles of HOP, blame fixes nothing. Right. right? I don't care. Oh, well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's this fault. Don't care. We're here to save lives. And this is my other gripe, right? No. With the safety profession. And we're going to talk about it. Uh, no, we'll just go. Let's just go to OSHA. Right? I can, I can talk for hours. and We will. We're going to talk about it for the next month. Department of Labor announces proposed changes to clarify regulations on authorized employee representation during workplace inspections. This is from yesterday. The US, on Tuesday, the USDOL... Uh, Today, announce a notice of proposed rulemaking to revise regulations regarding who can be authorized by employees to act as a representative to accompany the department's OSHA compliance officers during physical workplace inspections. Specifically, proposed rule clarifies that workers may authorize an employee or they may authorize a non-employee third party. This is I have commentary on. This is a problem for me. If the compliance officer determines that third party is reasonably necessary to conduct an effective and thorough inspection, the proposed changes also clarify that third party representatives are not limited to industrial hygienists or safety engineers. Third party representatives may be reasonably necessary because they have skills, knowledge, or experience that may help inform the compliance officer's inspection. This information may include experience of particular hazards, workplace conditions, or language skills. I get language skills. You get people. I just learned that there is a language down in Mexico that some workers speak that's not Spanish. 
that's a little bit of Spanish, but it's uh, based on the native languages down there. And everyone treats these folks as Spanish speakers when they really aren't, right? Uh, that can improve communications between OSHA representatives and workers. And it goes on from uh, uh, Assistant OSHA uh, uh, Secretary Doug Parker. Congress considered worker participation and a key element of workplace safety and health inspections when it passed the Occupational Safety and Health Act. This proposal aims to make inspections more effective and ultimately make workplaces safer by increasing opportunities for employees to be represented in the inspection process. OSHA is also seeking public comment on the criteria and degree of deference should, that should given uh, that employees uh, OSHA should give a, to employees choosing a representative to determine whether a third party can, can participate. So I'm going to look at this up. Maybe we talk a little bit more. This is what my, what my problem is, is with third parties. They're not, you're a third party. How are you getting paid? I don't know anybody who's a third party who, uh, who's, uh, who isn't going to get paid. Are you being paid by OSHA? I think that's a little bit of a conflict, maybe a conflict of interest. I don't know. Uh, how about, uh, not that a conflict of interest is illegal. I'm just saying it's a conflict of interest. What if it's somebody with a with a axe to grind with that employer, and they go in there, disgruntled former employee, maybe a friend of a disgruntled former employee going in there and doing this, right? It happens. Believe me, it happens. How about uh, this person goes in there and gets hurt, third party, who's not an employee? Who's going to cover that? Is it going to be OSHA? I mean, why don't they just hire people? Now, this is what my gripe is. Rather than bring out third parties, why don't they just go out there and hire new OSHA compliance officers? Maybe someone from, get them on loan from another government agency, maybe? That seems to me a little bit more reasonable than bringing in, hey, this third, hey, hey, uh, oh, this is, who's that? Oh, that's Frank. He's going to come on and he's going to be our, uh, uh, third party uh, oversight person. Oh, oh Frank is going to go. Oh, okay, great. Oh, we're going to let him in. I'm, I'd be like, first and foremost, I don't know who Frank is, or maybe I do. Second of all, okay, Frank is going to be writing a whole boatload of waivers. And you got to have this set up ahead of time. Say, Frank, you're welcome to come in, but we're not responsible for Woof No here. We're not responsible for you. You fall, you know, and what if Frank comes in there and fakes an injury? Don't think that's going to happen? Oh, 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 no, no. And then all of a sudden you have every slip and fall attorney in the world showing up at your front door. I, I mean, this is, this could be a can of worms. This could be like, uh, un, like externalities, unintended consequences. Uh, I don't know. We need to look a little bit more and discuss this. That's my thinking on this. Department of Labor orders a Vermont agricultural equipment company to reinstate employee fired for raising environmental concerns. In early June 2022, an employee of a Vermont company that sells and services agricultural equipment observed their employee pumping wastewater from the facility service bays onto the ground, bordering uh, Winooski River in Berlin. The employee uh, reported their concerns about the potential harm to the river, first to supervisors, then to the state's 
Department of Environmental Conservation. Shortly after, Champlain Valley Equipment fired the employee and the worker filed a whistleblower complaint with the U.S. Department of Labor's Occupational Safety and Health Administration. Again, you got to do that like immediately. You go out, get your attorney or other smart person in your life, and you go down to OSHA, you file a whistleblower complaint. Well, what, what happened here? The agency ordered the company to pay the employee 45 Gs plus back wages, interest on back wages, another 50 grand in compensatory damages, and 50 grand in punitive damages, and the workers' reasonable attorney fees. So, uh, in addition, ordering payment of back wages, damages, and reasonable attorney fees, OSHA ordered the employer to remove any reference to how the employee exercised their rights under the Safe Drinking Water Act, Federal Water Pollution Control Act, from their employment records, not retaliate or discriminate against the employee in any manner for instituting or causing to be instituted any proceeding under or related to Safe Drinking Water Act or the Federal Water Pollution Control Act. Immediately post in a conspicuous place, a notice to employees signed by the responsible company official informing uh, them of their rights under the new environmental laws. So, uh, again, uh, I don't think that that employee is going to be working there too long. They got, looks like, three times their wages in here, three years' worth of wages. Uh, from I'm, I'm drawing a small inference from this. Maybe uh, they need to go and find another job. Risks ignored. A company faces $545,000 in new penalties after a 14th worker in six years suffers injuries at Fastoria Vinyl Manufacturing Plant. An Ohio-based vinyl tile manufacturer with a history of failing to protect workers from hazards at his Pastoria plant dating back to 2017 now faces an additional $545,853 in penalties. So let's go here. Uh, basically, three willful violations, two repeats, three series, two other than series. Let's see uh, what these are. And they are also in the severe violator program. So we're looking at machine guarding and lockout tagout here. So let's see. I have it right in front of me here. Again, everybody is innocent until proven guilty. They may be contesting this. They may be vacating this. OSHA may have egg on their face for all we know, and the employer may have egg on their face. And then, you know, I don't know. I'm just reading the report. Citation one, item one, serious. Lockout tagout. Procedures do not clearly and specifically outline the scope, purpose, authorization, rules, and techniques to be utilized for the control of hazardous energy and the means to enforce compliance, including but not limited to on a whole bunch of stuff uh, here. I mean, you know, they they hit them 15,469. I believe that's the maximum. Oh, oh, oh. Oops. I let me get back to this. I hit the wrong button here. Give me a second. Okay, lockout tagout. Number two. Citation two, item number one. Uh, citation one, item number two. Serious. No guarding. 
on sprocket wheels and chain chargers seven feet or less above the floors or platforms. Maximum penalty in 15469 Citation 2, item 1, type of violation, willful serious. This is going to be a big one. The established procedure for application of energy control, uh, the lockout or tagout procedures, did not cover the actions listed in and was not done in sequence as required by 1910-147-D16. And we have a whole page full of stuff that they did and um, justifies this as a repeat violation. And here we have 154,696. We have citation three, item one, repeat, serious. So the one before here was willful, where they knew that it was going to happen. Now it's a repeat. Citation three, item one. Again, same thing. Authorized employees did not receive training. But then you can fix that, 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. 154,696 dollars. Citation three, item two. Missing machine guards, repeat serious, 30,938. Citation four, item one. Uh, other than serious, no OSHA 300 log. 2210. Citation for item two. The employer did not post an OSHA 300 uh, log from February 1st, April 30th. $2,210. For a grand total of proposed penalties of $375,688. And we have more. They apparently went back. Citation one, item one, cipher violation, serious, 15,469. Again, lockout, tagout, no procedures here, right? Clearly and specifically outline the scope, purpose, or authorization and techniques. Citation two, item 1A, type of violation, willful, serious. Procedures are not developed, documented, or utilized to control a potentially hazardous energy when employees or engage in activities covered by this section. All right, 154,946. And the last one, citation two, item 1B, willful serious. The established procedure for the application of energy control did not cover the actions listed in and was not done in sequence. That was zero. For a grand total for the second batch of $170,000, uh, 165. So they, you know, again, they have, they could uh, do this. Now, I, I think this next thing I have to look a little bit more and deeper into here. We've covered uh, Dollar Tree, and I'm mentioning the name of the company here because I really can't avoid it here. So Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, all that other stuff. Since 2017, it's been like $22 million in proposed penalties and everything else, and then the stockholders, and I would like to gain, uh, take credit for this, partially. We were, we were one of the, we, I think we were the only live program really talking about this, aside from some local news outlets. And uh, uh, where, uh, here we go, Department of Labor, I, I have to look more, uh, what's going on here? Department of Labor announces corporate-wide settlement agreement with Dollar Tree, Family Dollar, to address hazards at thousands of U.S. stores.
And this is was last week. Uh, OSHA has entered into a corporate-wide settlement agreement with operators of one of the nation's largest discount retail chains to improve workplace safety significantly in stores and nationwide. A key pillar of President Biden's plan, Bidenomics, is empowering to engrow the middle class. The settlement agreement requires Solidary and Family Dollar to conduct a comprehensive nationwide assessment of the root causes of violations SOCIA has repeatedly cited at multiple stores with a plan to identify causes and make operational changes to correct them within a two-year period. In the meantime, to ensure prompt abatement of any future violations related to blocked exits, access to fire extinguishers and electric panels, and improper and Improper material storage at stores nationwide, the companies must correct hazards within four hours of OSHA notifying them and later submit proof the hazards were corrected. I see a lot of opportunity here for safety professionals. Failure to do so subjects the companies to monetary assessments of $100,000 per day of violation, up to $500,000, as well as an OSHA inspection and enforcement actions. So uh, the companies have also agreed... Uh, to pay $1.35 million in penalties to settle existing contests as well as open inspections. That's what my question is. Is this, uh, my question is this. Oh, here's some more information that they've left out for the last year of us covering this. The company first signed a corporate-wide settlement agreement with OSHA in 2015, which expired in 2018. So this is what my question is. Uh, was the settlement, maybe someone can tell me, was this settlement from all this $22 million for $1.35 million? If that's the case, I'd love to be who, if that's the case, I would love to know who the freaking negotiator is on this. Oh, no, I need that person here. <laughs> we got, well, I'll put them on the program. How the hell do you negotiate $22 million down to $1.35 million. I don't know <laughs> if that's the case. I'm not sure that's the case or not. Uh, but uh, all the open inspection, I mean, that, we'd have to do a real deep dive. I don't really have the ability to do that, really. Next one, U.S. Department of Labor orders North Dakota Department of Environmental Qualities removed reprimand from employees' personnel file. A federal whistleblower investigation has found the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality illegally retaliated against an environmental scientist after they reported safety concerns at the public water system management and later contacted the U.S. EPA. So here's my question here. And I'm going to assume that everything in this article is true and this press release is true here. You have an agency who's in charge of drinking water quality, right? at least the monitoring of it and enforcement of laws, violating their own procedures. That's freaking mind-blowing, guys. You got to be kidding me. And uh, they reported safety concerns. So here you go. U.S. Department of Labor's OSHA determined the Department of Environmental Quality's actions violated federal law that protects employees who share water safety information and ordered the department to remove 
written reprimand from the employee's personnel file. OSHA investigators learned that the employee who worked for the agency for more than seven years raised safety concerns to their supervisor on a six-month period, uh, over a six-month period, and alerted the EPA about defects in reporting and data collection and concerns that unsanitary violations are being downgraded to minor violations. The supervisor requested the employees stop communicating with the EPA. That's where the mistake happened. And on July 1st, 2022, he issued him a written reprimand for contacting the EPA. So uh, here's from uh, OSHA Regional Administrator, Administrator Jennifer Roos in Denver. Employees have the right to report potential violations related to safe drinking water, and it's illegal for employees to retaliate against those who do. Our investigation and actions on the environmental scientists' behalf reflect the U.S. Department of Labor's determination to make sure workers' rights are protected. Based in Bismarck, the North Dakota Department of Environmental Quality is tasked with protecting the state's air and water resources. Department and employee may file objections or, or request a hearing with the Department's Office of Administrative Law Justice judges within 30 days of receiving the employee's order. So here we go. I don't think it would be a smart idea for them to protest this because the names start getting thrown out there. Not very smart. I mean, no, I don't know. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Alabama manufacturing facility exposed employees to safety hazards by using unguarded saws. Department of Labor investigation finds the Texas-based operator of a electric all right, you can tell that AI was involved here. Electric manufacturing facility could have prevented a 28-year-old worker from suffering an amputation if the employer had followed federal standards. And then we have $158,000.51 in proposed penalties. Let's go through this. Citation 1, item 1, type of violation serious. This is... 29 CFR 1910-212. One or more of the methods of machine guarding was not provided to protect the operator and other employees in the machine area from hazards, such as those created by point of operation, ingoing nip points, rotating parts, flying chips, and sparks. That was $7,366. Citation 1, item 2, type of violation serious. Points of operation of machinery were not guarded to prevent employee from having any part of their body in the danger zone during operating cycles. 15625 Citation 1, item 3, type of violation serious. There were damaged parts that could, have, could adversely affect safe operation or mechanical strength of the equipment, such as parts that were broken, bent, cut, or deteriorated by corrosion, chemical action, or overheating. 12,278. Citation 2, item 1, repeat serious. This is a repeat. They've done this before. Procedures are not developed. This is lockout tagout. Documented and utilized for the control of potentially hazardous energy when employees are engaged in activities covered by this section. 61,391. Citation 2, item 2, type of violation, serious. Authorized employees did not receive training in the recognition of applicable hazardous energy sources, the type and magnitude of the energy available in the workplace, and the methods and means necessary for energy isolation. $61,391. Pardon me. 
Workers and uh, citation three, item one. Workers and other persons adjacent to the welding area were not protected from the rays by non-combustible or flame-free screens or shields. The end of, uh, right, uh, that was $0. Citation 3, item 2, other than serious. 1910-305, conductors entering cutout, conductors entering cutout boxes, cabinets, or fittings shall be protected from abrasion. Openings, right, uh, that was $0. And this is another one. Citation 3, item 3. Type of violation other than serious was HASCOM violation. No, uh, right? Hazard, each container that has its chemicals in the workplace was, needs to be labeled or marked with the information. Total 158,051. Too bad someone had to have stuff amputated for this to happen. We're going to go, uh, let me give my voice a rest here. We're going to go to commercial break here. And we'll figure that. We'll come right on back to you. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized baloney from 25 years ago? Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Pozel at 845 845- Two six nine five seven seven two. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pozel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com. And we are back. Contractors' safety failures continue as federal inspectors find employees exposed to deadly fall hazards twice in two months. This is out of Washington, uh, Washington, Missouri, I guess. Uh, Twice within two months, uh, the USDOL observed a contractor with a history of workplace safety violations dating back to 2015. Once again, exposing employees to deadly fall hazards as they perform siding and roofing work and Lake St. Louis and O'Fallon. So there are two inspections on February 2023 and April 2023. And the contractor, again, ignored him the first time. Again, no uh, safety nets, fall arrest systems and areas greater than six feet. Right? Here you go. Let's start reading through these. And then we're going to probably call it a night here. I have some other stories. Let's see where we go here. Citation 1, item 1. Type of violation serious. Portable ladders. Did not extend three feet or more. That was 12 above the uh, landing. $12,278. Citation 2, item 1. Type of violation repeat serious. And this is six foot or more. You need some type of fall protection, guardrail system, safety nets, or personal fall arrest system. $156,259. For a grand total of $168,000. But there's more. That was from visit number one. Visit number two. Coming on up. Citation one, item one. Type of violation, serious. Eye and face protection, $9,822. Type of violation, 
Citation 2, item 1, I have a violation. Serious. Again, fall protection above 6 feet, 156,259 for a total, 166,081 on the second one. I, I mean, I don't know. They didn't take it seriously. What, what I'm, I'm going to draw an inference here, a little one. I don't think that they understood what they were getting into the, after the first time. But you, they can. 845-269-5772. I don't think that they, were, that they understood what they were getting in, themselves into. Real simple. Because that's usually what happens. Uh, See, that happened a number of times. So OSHA shows up. Or regulator shows up, doesn't have to be OSHA, says all this stuff. And you're like, oh, well, who is that guy? I don't know. Ah, ah well, we got something, we'll figure it out. And then they show up the second time. Again, uh, what does it come down to? It comes down to education. Cannabis users have higher levels of toxic lead metals in their. Uh, Bodies, according to a study. And uh, this website closed us out. Hold on. Got to enter in the password. A new study has uh, found, this is from the Epoch Times. A new study has found that marijuana or marijuana where users have statistically higher levels of lead and cadmium in their blood and urine compared to people who don't use the drug. In the study published in Environmental Health Perspectives uh, Journal yesterday, or actually today, no, no, yesterday, yesterday, it's already yesterday, researchers said that they compared cannabis users who exclusively use the drug to people who neither used uh, or tobacco. The study concluded marijuana users had significantly higher levels of toxic heavy metals in their body because the cannabis plant is known scavenger of metals, meaning that it uptakes metals like tomatoes and some other uh, plants, mustard. We had hypothesized that individuals who use marijuana will have higher, higher metal biomarkers. Uh, I, again, this is probably one. Here you go. Among the participants, researchers found that 358 individuals who exclusively used marijuana in the last 30 days had 1.27 micrograms per deciliter in lead in their blood compared to 0.93 micrograms per deciliter non-marijuana or non-tobacco users, 27% increase. They also found that cannabis users had 1.22 micrograms per deciliter mean cadmium levels in their blood or a 22% higher level than non-users. Well, let's remember, for OSHA purposes, 40 micrograms per deciliter is that your uh, medical, you have medical uh, issues, right? You got to have an evaluation. It's 50 micrograms per deciliter or more. It's medical removal. Uh, so with lead, just uh, it, it has a half-life of memory serves you right of seven years. With cadmium, it's about eight hours. How do I know? I had cadmium poisoning. I got some bad sushi. Right, with that, bad piece of meat. Uh, the before, like the day before blood work, uh, evening before blood work. When researcher, no, my doctor's had a field day with that one. Wow, what are you doing? Let's go for a hazmat physical. Now, this goes to show you with this, and an article goes on and on and on here. 
But this is what it is. Physicals. Before you go to these jobs, what are you doing? Physicals. Let's say you're going on a hazmat job. I get employers saying, oh, well, I, I don't meet the requirement under the hazmat requirement that require physical. Well, yeah, you do. I said, you're taking a big risk. I tell you what, especially with certain ethnic groups. All right. With uh, some of the health issues that they have, you really need to go and document a pre-existing condition probably. Oh, we don't need to. We're not spending the $400 and paying them for the days. It's usually him. And then what happens? Somewhere, someone says something. They end up sending them to a physical. Maybe the physical has to be do with something with what happened. They might have had a chemical exposure. They might have gotten hurt. And they start, it may have been like a year into the job. Oh, well, now someone says everybody go for physical, right? Whatever. They hit a regulatory uh, uh, requirement. And then what happens? You find out, and it's happened. And I said 25 times in my career. I, that's probably about right, probably a little bit more or less 25 times. I get a phone call. Oh, Jimmy, Jimmy, what are we going to do? It says on the paperwork that he wasn't even supposed to be on this cleanup because he was got high head lead levels. I don't know whether it's from this job or outside, blah, blah, blah. Now, now well, I hate to tell you this, but. Told you so, right? Uh, this sort of thing. And now you have to hire a toxicologist to try to figure this crap out. It costs a lot of money. Cheaper just to send them for the physical. That's my opinion. And here we have another one. Okay, you're doing this to me again, aren't you? It's good at it, right? It's good airtime here. Government shutdown in focus as White House pushes Congress for stopgap spending bill. Now, Jay Allen, uh, no, and made a no, he's interested in hearing what I have to say on these races. And guess what? I'm going to talk about these presidential races. Uh, the, this is from the Epoch Times also. A looming government shutdown has come into sharper focus as the White House on August 31st, that's today, as Congress approved a short-term funding measure to keep the federal government running before it runs out of money. And said, so, again, you got to watch out for this stuff, guys uh, and gals out there. Last year's $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. They don't even freaking debate this stuff. They just approve it. Throw the pork in there. It's also known as a continuing resolution. I've heard it referred to as that. Uh, now, when it goes in there, 4,000 pages, three smaller stuff, on all this other stuff from last. Okay, great. Now, this year, both House and Senate have tried to pass individual appropriation bills rather than another omnibus measure, although reaching consensus has been elusive. With just 11 legislative days left in the current fiscal year, pressure is building as just one of 12 regular appropriations bills has cleared the House, while none has made it through the Senate. I mean, they and they don't do a budget. They just do these little tiny bills. And then, then, they, and then everyone is wondering, why, why do we have trillions of dollars in debt? Now, you're going to say, well, Jim, that has nothing to do with safety. Oh, really? If we recall earlier this month, late last month, right uh, one of the, uh, I believe it was the governor of Washington, and said, well, we got to show leadership out there. We got to show leadership to the world, to China. We got to be leaders. Well, explain to me how you're going to show leadership 
to China and who, who holds about $1 trillion of our debt, like $900 billion, something like that, the last side, $938 billion, the last side check. Explain to me how we're going to show leadership when everybody, uh, when we owe everybody money. Right? This is why you don't spend yourself into these debts. And so now, hey, we now we have credit left. Now we have we have some resiliency here. We can fix this. We can do it. You know, no thought, no forethought on here, on anything, on anything. It's, uh, uh, you know, very frustrating. Government watchdog has warning on barriers to advanced nuclear reactors. Report from the GAO, Government Accountability Office, concluded that there are ongoing challenges in licensing and advanced reactors by the NRC, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, even after recent reforms. With this report, the GAO confirms that the NRC needs to do more to prepare the officially review and improve advanced nuclear reactor designs. Well, there's another story here. China is now building these nuclear reactors. Again, lowering the cost of what they're doing. And from a one point of view, I don't know. Um, I don't know. We know that there's problems with solar power, wind power, and everything else. And here we have one. New York police will use drones to monitor backyard parties this weekend, spurring privacy concerns. Those attending outdoor parties or barbecues in New York City this weekend may notice an uninvited guest looming over their festivities of her police surveillance drone. Big Brother here? Uh, again, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, again, it's in, within public view. Here we have, uh, let's see what else we got here. Paper drinking straws may be even worse than plastic for your, the environment. Does use, this is from studyfinds.org. Does using an eco-friendly paper straw give you a good feeling because you're doing something for the environment? You may not want to rethink that. A new study contends that paper drinking straws may not be more environmentally friendly than plastic straws and can pose significant health risks to users as well. The study reveals the presence of forever chemicals, uh, basically PFASs, poly and perfluoral alcohol. Uh, let me start that over again. Poly and perfluoral alkyl substances, PFAS. Again, the EPA has been breaking down on this. So, uh, the only safe straws are stainless steel straws. Yeah, that's not surprising. Uh, again, government promoting things on one end, and then, oh, well, that may not be the smart thing to do. So I'm shocked here. I kind of do this here. Elmira, New York. How far away are they from me here? Directions. Uh, let's see. 
It was pretty close. No, Elmira is all the way out there. Okay. You must be thinking of a different Elmira. This Elmira, New York, is out. Oh, let's see. It's all the way out there. You take Route 86 all the way out. It's out by Watkins. It's in the Finger Lakes, south of the Finger Lakes. It's about an hour and a half, two hours south of Syracuse. About the same thing up by Rochester, Elmira, New York, in the middle of nowhere. So, uh, according to this, when people consider popular places to, in America, they often think of big cities. However, a new study focuses on the best small cities and towns across the United States. And the factors to make them great places to call home. The exa- study examined cities in 50 smallest TV-designated market areas, populations of less than 100,000. And they went and they graded them, and, you know, what were they worried about? Diversity, uh, historical buildings, farmers' markets, winning percentage from high school football teams. Wow, that's a weird one. Researchers uh, used uh, reputable sources for their data, including FBI crime data. And let's remember, all of those are self-reported and self-serving, from uh, my knowledge of them. Zillow Home Values, National Center for Education Statistics, the National Park Service, U.S. Department of Agriculture, all this stuff. Best small cities, Elmira, right? Corning, Utica, and Binghamton, all in like the same direction there. Uh, all four cities were in New York here uh, uh, in the top 50 cities. Additionally, these cities have relatively affordable home values, and Elmira was the overall number one. Corning, number two. Utica, number three. Binghamton, number four. Beautiful areas. Uh, What made the bottom of the list? Anywhere in New Jersey? I've been to uh, in the areas of some of these things. Okay, here you go. Quincy, Illinois. I've been there. Steubenville, Ohio. Been there. Uh, Watertown, New York, been there. A lot of towns in West Virginia here. Fairbanks, Alaska. Bozeman, Montana. And I had to throw this one out there, being a MASH fan. Tumwa, Iowa. Home of Radar O'Reilly. So that's what I got here. Uh, some of these other stories could, we could hold off on. Uh, so... I want to thank everybody uh, for tuning in. want to thank you for bearing with me over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, again, we're out there. We're out there to help you. And onward into Disaster Preparation Month. For Safety Wars, this is Jim Polzel. Good night, everybody.